You're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopoulos. Hello there. I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Jenny Zagrino. I like try to connect with an audience no matter what, like if it's the Deep South or like Canada. Like I, I always find like some kind of connection, even if I don't know them or they don't know where I'm coming from. We hear more from Jenny in just a bit. Boy, she is just a delight. I think you're really going to enjoy her. Rick Santorum uh, goes against Bill Maher on Bill Maher's program uh, discussing a climate change, amongst other things. Uh, we break that down and uh, kind of dissect the nonsense for you. We have a song of the week from a group from New Jersey called the Como Brothers Band. You're going to dig that. But uh, again, fake news still on hiatus. So we're going to go right to the dumb bit. Rick Santorum went on Real Time with Bill Maher, and uh, Bill Maher asked him about getting the money out of politics and also asked him about climate change, and Santorum had this to say about climate change and his uh, climate-denying ways. And I'm, and I'm not alone. I mean, the most recent survey... You're not climate, alone. The re- most recent survey of climate, uh, climate scientists said about 57% don't agree with the idea that 95% of the change in the climate is being wait, wait. caused by, S- uh, by say that CO2. Again? There was a survey done of 1,800 scientists, and 57% said they don't buy off on the idea that CO2 is the, is the knob that's turning the uh, climate. There's hundreds Rick, of reasons I don't the know, climate change. I don't know what ass you're pulling that I'm out I'm not. Of. I'm, I'll, I'll that say, is I'll not... Say, I'll I'll say, well, Rick Santorum did not really pull that out of his backside. It did come from somewhere, and it came from what seemed like a reliable source. Uh, I believe he pulled it from Forbes magazine. And Forbes magazine, I trust. It's, you know, it's pro-business, I would say. It's a business magazine. But that's okay. I mean, it's an actual magazine. There's actual journalists that work there. And from what I can tell, he got it from a uh, an, an article written by a man named James Taylor. Now, James Taylor, uh, not the uh, the soothing adult contemporary singer-songwriter, uh, but no, uh, James Taylor is a contributor to Forbes Online. So it starts to get a little muddy here. And uh, he actually is a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute, which sounds that sounds nice and, and Midwestern and, and uh, you know, true blue American. Uh, but of course, the Heartland Institute is uh, funded by the Koch brothers. Okay, so the red flags are, are coming up fast and furious. And uh, under his uh, bio, it says, I write about energy and environment. Uh, and actually, he doesn't. It should say, I'm a hack that defends polluters and science deniers. Because uh, all his articles are all denying everything that is uh, pro-environment and you know pro-green energy and all that. For example, one of his latest articles uh, is called, let me see here, uh, What the Clean Energy Summit Doesn't Want You to Know. And I'll tip you off on the secret spoiler alert here because you, know, you probably won't go off and read this. But um, if you do, you'll find out that 1.5 million birds and bats are killed by wind turbines every year. Wow. So we shouldn't have wind, tur- we shouldn't have wind energy because birds are getting killed. Okay. So and uh, that is not an inaccurate number. It's a little high. According to USA Today, uh, citing a study by the Audubon Society and also citing a study, uh, a report based on 116 different studies. Now, the number is closer to 300,000. Uh, which is a lot of birds, admittedly. But uh, care to guess how many birds are killed by your, your window? Look out your window right now. How many birds are, are killed by getting whacking into that? 900 million. 900 million birds are killed by windows. Feral cats next on the list. Uh, 500 million birds perish at the hands of feral cats. And I would assume probably some domestic cats that, you know, uh, like my cousin's cat used to kill birds and rabbits and things like that. So he's probably a culprit. Uh, let me see what else is on those cars are on the list. Pesticides, wind turbines, way, way, way down on the list, folks. Okay. So, 
Um, and you can find this thing on the Sibley Guide, this list of things that kill birds. And I don't think the Sibley Guide has an axe to grind. It's just it was it was just an article telling you this is what happens to kill birds. They were, they were making a decision either way. So anyway, so back to the 1800 scientists. Um, this was a real thing. George Mason University, a real university, conducted this study uh, among members of the American Meteorological Society, also a real scientific society. And uh, the problem is is that the American Meteorological Society has 13,000 members. So they got about 14% of the people to respond to the survey. That's one. And if you take Rick Santorum's number of 57%, now you're down to like 7% of the membership uh, only saying that. But that's not the biggest problem here because you would think the American Meteorological Society, that must be a lot of climate experts uh, there. Well, yes and no. Uh, who is in the American Meteorological Society? Well, right from their own YouTube page, uh, I will let this nice lady tell you who is in the American Meteorological Society. It's a vibrant group of scientists, professionals, students, authors, educators, researchers, and weather enthusiasts from all over the world. Weather enthusiasts. I'm a weather enthusiast. I'm not a climate expert. I'm sorry. I just have to go with the, what the climate experts say. Now, it is, you know, being in the American Meteorological Society, even if you're just a weather enthusiast, I guess carries a little more weight than, remember that uh, list we looked at a couple of months ago? Uh, the founder of the Weather Channel had that jive petition that uh, uh, the uh, 10,000 scientists signed. Remember, we went through the list and I plucked out the PhDs just in the A's because it's alphabetical. And we found one actual scientist, a biologist from Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, and all the rest were like masseuses and, and people that had absolutely were in any kind of real science. You know, one, I think one was, uh, I don't even know what they were, but they, there was one actual scientist in the crew, okay? So, yeah, so you may say, well, okay, the American Meteorological Society, though, that's, you know, it's still to do with weather, yes, but according to the UK's Guardian newspaper, only 13% of all AMS members describe themselves as climate experts. Okay, so speaking of George Mason University, they did another study among broadcast meteorologists. Now, of course, we know weather and climate aren't the same thing, but people, you know, I think, I think TV weathermen know a fair amount about uh, climate, and they, they understand it. And they, the survey by uh, George Mason University just, just came out this year, the one Santorum is referring to came out in uh, 2013. The, according to this 2015 study, more than 9 in 10 TV weathercasters have concluded that climate change is happening. I'm reading right from the report here. Uh, of TV weathercasters who have concluded that climate change is happening, nearly 9 in 10 think human activity is at least partly responsible over the last 50 years, although they underestimate the extent of the scientific consensus on humans causing climate change. In other words, they're buying into the fact that there are doubters, even though they don't believe it themselves. They don't, I mean, they don't, they don't believe the doubters. They believe it that's, that it's happening. They kind of think they might be in the minority, which is just weird. So, uh, um, oh, and the 97% thing here, uh, Stan Torn brings this up because this to me, honestly, if I were on the other side, I'd be like, oh, that sounds like a talking point because it gets repeated so much. That's one of the things that somebody said once and then people just stuck to it and it's a big number and nobody questions it. And Santorum questions it here with Bill Maher. The 97% figure that's thrown around, the head of the UN IPC said that number was pulled out of thin air. It was based on a, on a survey of 77, not even 97 scientists responded to that survey. So let's just get, let's talk about facts. Okay, well, the facts are that I think he did pull that one out of his butt because uh, the 97% the figure actually comes from NASA. And if you go to the website, let me look at the uh, address bar, climate.nasa.gov. Uh, then for a scientific dash consensus, or you can just, you know, go to your favorite web browser, as they say on the BBC, because they're not allowed to say Google. Um, 
you can go there and you can find this. And it says right on the front page, multiple studies published in peer-reviewed scientific journals show that 97% or more of actively publishing climate scientists agree climate warming trends over the past century are likely due to human activities. That's it right there. Not pull out of anybody's butt. It comes from NASA. And NASA, uh, people might not realize, is that the reason they send all those probes out to other planets is not only to find out you know cool stuff about other planets, but also to find out more about our planet. So not only does NASA, you know, the, the big stories, you always hear about them going to Mars and going to Pluto and that, all those cool missions like that. But a lot of they're also studying our very own planet. And so I think they would know a thing or two about the planet and about climate. Although I would imagine that Rick Santorum just probably thinks that they're all snobs. Jenny Zagrino is a stand-up comedian you may have seen on the late-night talk shows or on Comedy Central. She is quickly making a name for herself. She's very funny. She's very charming. And here now is her interview with Jenny Zagrino. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me walk you in here. Uh, well, we'll just skip the, the opening and we'll just go right into it. Um... So, uh, I've seen your comedy, but I don't know a whole bunch about you. Uh, where are you from originally? Um, originally, I'm from uh, Minnesota. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Because um, when I was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, because when this whole thing got switched around, uh, Mike Damber was supposed to be in that slot at the House of Comedy, and I called interview him. Mike Damber, he's from Rochester. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I and I, inter- I was going to interview him, because I was just about to call you, because they, they sent me up to Edmonton, and they're bringing some girl from Boston. And I thought, oh, okay, Jenny must be from Boston. <laughs> but I guess he was misinformed. So, so it's like, it's a little complicated where I'm from. So I am born in Burnsville, okay. and um, kind of like raised in Hopkins, Minnetonka. Okay. And then when I was 11, my mom moved to Boston. Oh, okay. And then I was going back and forth. I like lived there for a little bit, came back, went to the arts high school, and then moved back to Boston, but consider myself a Boston comic. Even okay. though I started comedy in Minnesota, I still am like, okay. my, my uh, comedy learning happened in Boston. I see. So let's, so were you like interested in comedy growing up? Were you uh, funny as a kid and your friend said you should, you should be a comedian or a little bit of both? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, um, I just, I just was always like a funny kid because I was, uh, you know, like a fat kid. So <laughs> it's like what I had was in my arsenal. Um, and when I was 16, I took a class at, um, Stevie Ray's. Okay. I think it is. What's the, 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 um, I, improv I, guy or something? I'm not sure. I'm actually in Cincinnati. I've only been to Minnesota twice for an hour in the airport. So I just write. Oh, for the weird. Right there. Are you yeah. from Minnesota? Or are you not just writing for the city? Just right. Just right for City Pages. Just a gig I picked oh, up a couple okay. years ago. Yeah. But you live in Cincinnati. Yep. Oh, so weird. So um, I like started. I took like a comedy class in Minnesota, some like improv studio, and then when I was 16, and then like tried to do it a few times and just quit, and then I was back. Living in Boston, I started up again. Okay. And were you going to school in Boston, or did you start, were you still in high school? Because I guess you started pretty young. I started, I was still in high school. Okay. And then um, uh, went to college in Boston. Okay. So I started, I started up again when I was 21. 
Oh, I see. So you took a little, little break. Yeah. Okay. And so it's just like it's uh, you know, sixteen. You can't really say all those things you want to. Okay. And so, like, who are the other uh, people in the scene there when you were uh, coming? Like, you no, know, Alangon Mitra, I know, is from there. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other yeah. younger guys that are from there. So, gals. like, my so when I first started, um, like the generation before me that left was like Mike Kaplan, Josh Gondelman, okay, Zach Sherwin, um, Shane Moss. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think, uh, Joe List those guys so I, like I'm, I know them I'm friends with them and then my generation is like myself Aling on um, Matt D who was on Conan okay. or Matt Donaher um Ahmed Barucha who's in like Dead Kevin sketches um and has been on Comedy Central okay um yeah so those guys I came up with and left with aha uh-huh. um yeah, and I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think like like me, Alingon, and Matt D are all about the same. Okay, and so in college, did you have a, a, a the career path carved out, or were you just trying to gain some experience and uh, knew you wanted to be a comedian? Um, I knew I want. Like, I think after doing um, stand up a few times, it was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I just kind of always knew that, like, I wanted to do stand up. I was a film major, okay. so I knew I wanted to like be creative and like funny. But I think for me, I, I preferred stand-up because I really enjoyed the instant gratification. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Did you um, did you make any films or anything or make any forays into that at all? Um, um, into what? Did you make any, any short films or anything like that or make any forays yeah, into Yeah, yeah, I did. Like, I would do a lot of character stuff. Um, oh, okay. And then, like, one of the characters I created in uh, school, I ended up, like, using to host burlesque for three years in Boston. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, so that was super fun. Um, and, like, I still, like, do a lot of character stuff. But, like, my comedy is more, it is more, like, storytelling and character and impressions versus, like, one-liners. Uh, yeah, so it all kind of works out. Yeah, because if people saw your Conan set, which was very funny, uh, it is it is more, I guess, jokey jokes and observational type of stuff. But when you're up on... Uh, you know, in a stage where you have an hour, I guess you've got more room to breathe. You do a lot of more, you know, some different stuff than that, I guess. Yeah, like I do, like my would say, I do about in the entire hour, I'll probably do about 20 minutes worth of crowd work. Mm-hmm. Like it's like talking to people and trying to like have fun and like tease them and whatever. And, um, and then I do tell like longer stories or about like my family and, kind of talk about them but not so much like one-liner things like I have a, if I have a couple one-liners like that kind of very tongue-in-cheek like this is meant to be a silly one-liner yeah kind of thing so what but I, mostly I, like, I just like to tell stories and be silly well, where do the stories come from is it like things that have happened to you or things that you've imagined might happen to you like embellishments or how does that work they're, they're all like things that like it's usually a lot of like embarrassing stories or things that have happened to me or like something that will have happened to me and then like my opinion on it. Like I have a joke about uh, breaking up with a boy at Colonial Williamsburg and like it's actually he's the second person I've broken up with at Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> and I kind of like go in to talk about that. That's funny. Um, and it leads into like how much I like history and I talk about history. So oh. it's like they're my own opinions sprinkled in with 
real like things that I've done or do. Oh, okay. And what kind of impressions do you do? Um, not like not like uh not like standard impressions like this is a, a dog eating a rabbit or whatever right. whatever it is. I feel like I just am like I'm imitating my mom a lot. Okay. I just do like accents. Um my mom's from Russia, so I imitate her a lot oh. in my set. Um just like little like uh you know, like ballet girl or like I'm doing voices or different characters and not like this is Adele. This is my impression of Adele. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. So um, so the characters are inspired by people that either are in your life or that are that come into your life through various yes. things. Okay. And so you, you have an ear for that. Do, do you Are you ever like, uh, you, you're around a lot and you hear people speak or you're in a store or wherever and you hear something and go, aha, and does something, can something germinate like that or does it kind of take a while for it to settle in? Yeah, like, like even, um, yes, like two days ago, I was at a comedy show and like this girl next to me is just like the kind of quintessential LA girl. And like, it kind of made me think, like she said just like the dumbest thing that I had ever heard where she was like, um, excuse me, do your nachos have cheese on them? And I was just like, I can't live in LA anymore. Like, I can't live in a world where nachos are assumed to already have had cheese on them or just like the dumb LA girl is just like, um, yeah, what's like the texture of your smoothie? Is it like super smooth or just like kind of smooth? Like just how I'm like, I can't live here anymore. <laughs> like much longer because I cannot turn into these people. Well, how long have you so, been there? Um, it'll be a year in August and it's still too much. Oh my goodness. So, you were in Boston. You were working a lot out of Boston and, and like touring around from there, or did you? Uh... Yeah, well, I moved to New York, 2013. Okay. August first, 2013. I lived in New York in Brooklyn, um, and then I was on Funniest Winds with Marlon Wayans. Oh yeah. And in the summer, and then moved to LA for 2014 August. Okay, and what prompted the move to Los Angeles? Um, I I think. Myself and my representative, like, we thought that, like, the show was really going to take off and, like, oh, I have to be in town for when it airs and everyone's going to watch it. And it didn't happen like that. <laughs> so I just ended up, you know, having to start over again in a brand new city. Uh, and how's it been going? It's just now getting better because, like, I was on the road a lot and doing a lot of different things. Um, and I'm still, like, on the road a lot, so... People don't really know me as well as like they did in New York, but it's it's slow. Like I'm starting to get asked. I think doing Conan really helped a lot of people knowing who I am around here. Does it like when you're going to new cities? Does it kind of help you though? Um, when people haven't heard you or aren't as familiar with you, that um, does that help kind of build things up for you, or is it better when people kind of know where you're coming from? Or doesn't it matter? Um, I don't think it matters so much like with the audience and on the road. It's just like you know when it's been helpful for people to know me to book me for shows. <laughs> like if uh, I don't know if like on the road, like I'm pretty personable, so I like try to connect with an audience no matter what. Like if it's a deep south or like Canada, like I I always find like some kind of connection even if I don't know them or they don't know where I'm coming from. But it's just nice to have bookers be like, oh okay, she's on Conan, she's legitimate. Let's book her. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I imagine that would help. So you've, you've done some work up in Canada, you say? Yeah, I was at the Edmonton um, actually two weeks ago. Okay. I yeah. was at Edmonton. All right. And um, so do you still feel uh, an affinity to Minnesota? I mean, how old were you when you left? I do. I was eight. I was 18 when I officially left. I had a tattoo oh, okay. in Minnesota oh, okay. on my leg. Oh, okay. So, All right. I so still love it. I feel like I'm kind of that perfect balance of like East Coast balls and like Minnesota nice. Okay. Like in my comedy, because like I'll be very like friendly and nice, but I'll also um, will not hesitate to make fun of you and rail into you like a northeasterner would. Uh-huh. So, and I think that kind of the like combining the two types of comedy, where it's on the East Coast, it's very fast joke, 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 and it's like in the Midwest, it's more slow, kind of building up to jokes. Yeah, and I think I kind of have like married those two pretty well into my comedy. That is a a pretty good balance. Um, so yeah. What, yeah. So, um, like, who like ins- inspired you in your comedy, or did, did you kind of just develop your your own voice as you went along, or was it kind of a combination of both? Um, I think in the beginning I was super influenced by like bigger personality comedians like uh, Russell Brand, Dane Cook, um, kind of like these big, boisterous, like loud people, and then like. So, like, as time went on, I started getting to more, like, more, like, more, like, I really love, like, Maria Bamford. Like, she's, oh, of yeah. course, like, just, everyone loves, like, she's so, she's just so great. Like, I love her getting into more, like, Janine, um, like, just kind of more, not exactly, like, loud, big comedians, but more, like, cerebral comedy. Yeah, you're. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, you're you're a little more high energy on stage. I am still high, like I'm still high energy, and it's more of like I'm not yelling at people, but I'm just like excited to be there. Yes, you can tell. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, and and I think people like like that because they want to be excited to be there. So I think it's like I kind of want all my shows to be like this mutual like fun ride of like. I'm going to tell a bunch of crazy stories and you're going to love them and then you can laugh at them because they're supposed to be crazy and silly. Hmm. Um, but I, like, I don't, I'm never like yelling at, like, I'm not yelling at anyone. I'm not in, really insulting anyone unless they kind of deserve to be insulted. <laughs> unless they have it coming. Yeah, exactly. I'm not like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, I'm not. I'm not like that. Like uh, I guess, like I'm Lenny Clark. Maybe I'm just like <laughs> well, kind of no, like loud and like angry. I'm not angry. No, not at all. No, but and the audience seems to be on your side. You seem to be, you know, discussing things that people can uh, relate to. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with the voice that I've that I've cultivated because it is kind of close to me. Yeah, and you know, I think. Oh, go on. Oh, I'm just, I, I don't know, like, um, yeah, I guess it's, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just want, like, comedy, I want everyone to be having a good time. Yeah, and I think you seem to fall in that category of, like, you know, it, that some, maybe somebody knows somebody like you, you know, who's funny, and, you know, it's kind of that, uh, what they what they call the everyday man comedy, but the everyday person comedy now we would call it, of course, because, you know, there's, um, 
you know, a lot of comics are like that. They're just like, oh, there's like John Heffron. That's kind of had been his big thing over the years. Like it's kind of like, oh, he's like your brother-in-law. He's like, you know, the, somebody you know who's really yeah. funny. And I think you kind of fall into that same category. You know, you're like a funny, the funny coworker, or the you know, the funny cousin, the funny, you know, the, and it's very relatable. Yeah, like I've been told, I'm like, I'm in like, especially for like for auditions, I'm like the funny best friend. I'm like the just like the non-threatening, <laughs> non-threateningly funny person. Yeah. Who's like, I think I, I'm like kind of lucky in that, like the women in the crowd are going to be like, she's not pretty enough to take my boyfriend, hmm. but she's cool enough that I want to be her friend. Yeah. And then the guy, they're like, maybe I'd fuck her. I don't <laughs> know. Like it's, I'm like non-threatening to everybody yeah. on every level. So so they feel good about liking me. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit there on the front end, but um, I guess if that's what. That's um, what I'm, listen, I, listen, Jenny Z gets it. Okay, <laughs> Jenny Z's on the road, Tinder town. That's it. That's that's what this bitch is doing. All right, but cool. it's just like I feel like I'm super. I'm like not. I'm not like a mellow, but I'm just like I kind of toe that line of of uh, of just like. I'm, I can be everyone's best friend in the yeah. room at the same time. Sounds yeah, and it seems to be working out for you. I feel th- I feel good. Cool. <laughs> I feel pretty good. Yeah. You calmed down a good day too. Oh good. So, <laughs> well, I just got done with therapy. It was fantastic. Oh, that's that's cool. Does that something you picked up in Los Angeles, or is that something you've been doing for a while? No, I've always gone to therapy. Yeah. Always, my whole life, I've been in and out of therapy. Yeah, and but has the stand-up kind of helped with the therapy? Has that been a therapy of its own? Um, I think that I think like in a way, like there, like stand-up is very therapeutic, but then it can also be like kind of like this detrimental thing where you're just so used to having people listen to you all the time that you <laughs> just kind of lose, uh, you like lose touch with reality, and then you're like, why are people listening to me all the time? Oh yeah, so, you get used to it, yeah, and that yeah. that that feedback loop. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, like that constant feedback. So I think, like I think uh, I was just talking to my friend today about like I was in therapy, and I was like, oh, I wonder like if I'm a sociopath, and huh. she was like, well, you're a comedian, so you're kind of already there. Huh. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Well, there you go. Problem solved. Yeah, I guess I am one. I'm a really well-adjusted, happy sociopath. There you go. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to leave it there, Jenny. Um, appreciate you taking the time today. This will be in City Pages the week uh, you're in Minneapolis in print and online, and hopefully we'll get you down here in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. Cool. I'll yeah. tell my dad to pick up four copies. There you go. Excellent plan. All right. And all right. Email him the link, too, because it'll be, it'll be online as well, and he can share it with all his friends. So it'll be, it'll be up... Um, next week or this week, like uh, this Wednesday after Wednesday. After Wednesday, yeah, whatever week you were actually there, and the week starts on a well. Sometimes starts on a Tuesday, sometimes starts on a Wednesday at the House of Comedy. It all depends, but it'll be that. Yeah, Wednesday. I'm gonna be there. It, okay, I think it's streets I'll on Wednesday, as we say. So it'll be that Wednesday that you're there. Okay, Great. cool. All right, thanks, Jenny. I right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Jenny Zagrino for being on the show. You can catch Jenny September 11th to 13th at the Funny Bone Westport in St. Louis, Missouri. For all things Jenny Zagrino, go to JennyZagrino.com. It is spelled like it sounds, Z-I-G-R-I-N-O. 
com. Okay, a couple of things to get to uh, this weekend, which uh, while we're recording this, this currently is uh, the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. And so Fangirl Hour will be going to Columbus, Ohio and covering the Fashion Meets Music Festival there in downtown Columbus. So we'll be reporting from there. Trying to get a hold of our good friend, uh, the show Lights, and a couple of other bands to talk to. We'll see how that goes. It isn't going too well at the moment. Everybody seems to be a little bit too busy for us. I also wanted to tell you that a couple of very funny guys from Cincinnati have both have CDs out now. Alex Stone, friend of the show. He's been on here many, many times before. And Mike Cronin, who I've interviewed for uh, City Beat, and I've known him for years and years, and that guy's just done nothing but get funnier and funnier. So he has a new CD out. Next week, I will play you tracks from those. It'll be an easy week for me. Don't have to make up a dumb bit. I'll just play you some bits from those guys, and it'll probably be way funnier. So everyone's a winner. All right, so uh, let me see. Oh, review the show on iTunes if you, would, uh, if you would be so kind. Or wherever you're listening to it, I think you can review it uh, at TuneIn. I know you can review it at Stitcher, so if you're getting it that way, please just go and review the show. It does help. And now we're up to the Song of the Week. Song of the Week uh, came to me kind of from an, in an odd uh, way. Uh, you know, I, some of you know I write for the Pop Culture Beast. That's Garen Cockrell's uh, entertainment website. Garen, of course, is the intern there over at uh, Never Not Funny, Jimmy Pardo's award-winning podcast. And uh, he's kind of getting honest about uh, posting more stuff and posting regularly. And he uh, he said, well, who wants to review a bunch of these uh, albums? I'm like, well, I'm looking for some new stuff. I'm, I'm having a hard time finding some new tunes. And so... Um, he uh, sent me a whole bunch of stuff. This was one of them. It's called the, they're the Como Brothers Band. They're from New Jersey. And uh, I liked it. I, I, I like this one single uh, a lot. And this is what I'm going to play for you as the song of the week. The song is called Good Enough for Me. And it's I liken it to uh, Andy Grammer. Uh, maybe a Maroon 5 kind of a train, maybe, but kind of a, a more of like an, an Andy Grammer kind of situation. Uh, you know, a nice light pop, maybe an Ollie Murs, if you will. But uh, the song is good enough for me. Very catchy. I think you're going to like it. It's our, it is our song of the week. This is the Comer Brothers Band on PF's Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. you wanna play, you gotta play hard Well is it wrong if we grow worlds apart? I'm living for today, cause tomorrow's too far Won't worry about the weather, well don't you know it's been changing from the start You know it's not your fault, oh If you're gonna ride with the system, you're never gonna break me Everything will be fine You gotta look up when everything is falling down I'm making a, a change Standing in place Taking in the sunset before it goes on